This is With You in the Weeds. Do you ever find yourself stuck in between what you know to be true and what you actually experience? Or the difference between where you are and where you want to be? Well, if so, you're in the weeds. And like weeds, those tough places keep coming back. I'm Lynn Rausch. And I'm John Tennant. As counselors, Lynn and I deal with those weeds all the time. Together, we designed this podcast because we want to be with you in those weeds, kind of like God desires to be with us. Hmm. Now, that idea will change everything. So we hope you'll listen in and let us be with you in the weeds. Let's get started. Well, we are in our series called Beliefs That Keep You Stuck. And today's belief is going to really get in the weeds on a topic that I don't think we've addressed yet on this podcast. We are going to be talking about sex. And I'm here with John and Austin in the studio. Hi, guys. Hey, what's up? Yes. Talking about sex. Yep. So, you know what? Our desire in this series is to help people feel free from feelings of shame and to unearth unwise, untrue, unhelpful, and maybe even unbiblical beliefs that might be used against them, or maybe they're using them against themselves. And so we want people to feel normalized, dignified, and to do that, you just need to become consciously aware of these thoughts and beliefs that might be keeping you stuck. And so today's episode is going to cover the false belief that sexual brokenness disqualifies you from God's love. And this is a huge topic. We won't be able to address every aspect of it in today's episode. We may do a future series more specific to this, but for now I will simply say that this is the elephant in the room. This this is the thing that to one degree or another, people are struggling with feelings of shame around the issue of sexuality and we want to speak into that struggle in today's episode. Yeah, and so right off the bat, we're, we're going to approach this unapologetically from a traditional classical Christian perspective. And that's where we come from on this podcast platform. And here is basically how we're going to think about it today in relationship to sex. Uh, one, God created sex to be enjoyed. It's good. It's beautiful. And it's to be experience between a man and a woman. Uh, Male and female identities are grounded in the Bible, in the Trinity, in God himself, when he says, let us make them male and female in our image. And that brings a lot of clarity. Uh, That's where we come from. Uh, We know not everyone agrees with that, but it makes it very simple and solid. And that's where we root ourselves. The second thing is this, God made this sexual relationship between a man and a woman exclusive uh, for the marriage covenant. And think of that as like a fence, like around property. It's a protective barrier uh, because sex can do a lot of damage without boundaries. And we'll talk a lot about that later. Third component is we're all sexually broken. Our sexual brokenness is measured not by comparing ourselves to other people Mm -hmm. and other sexual lifestyles, but it is compared to Eden in the Bible. Can you say more compared to Eden? What do you mean? Perfection. Mm. Before the sin virus ever entered into the picture. Life as it was meant to be. Mm -hmm. You got it. Yep. Um, The other thing is that our brokenness is universal. 
So when we talk about sexual sin, it's not like this sin is more broken than the other sins. Mm-hmm. We are out of line with God's design at every level of our being. Mm-hmm. We're broken emotionally, socially, relationally, physically, and psychologically. If you've ever watched Rudolph, think of it this way. We are misfits on the island of misfit toys. <laughs> and, and that's really why I like comparing sin to a virus. It is in all of us, whether it's activated or not, and it never goes away. Yeah, and I, I really like the concept of virus because it sounds like what you're saying is we all have it. And, and at the very same time, maybe this virus has progressed a little further than another's. In it's other a, words, maybe the impact of sexual brokenness is felt differently among other people. But what everybody has in common is that we're all infected and impacted by and that. And some viruses are more severe than others. Yeah. And also in the medical world, viruses are intelligent. Yeah. They morph. Yeah. So, yeah. It, you know. It's a very, very good analogy for understanding the damage of sin. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing, what I'm realizing and aware of, and you probably are too, the historical Christian perspective, Jesus's view is not very popular in today's broader culture. You know, just even the general concept of sin is not very popular, even less so when applied to sex and sexuality, when and where it needs to be applied. But this is not something that we can or want to compromise because Jesus himself believed that there was such a thing as sexual brokenness and sexual sin. He believed that there were certain behaviors like adultery, sex outside of marriage, pornography, and more were sinful. And I think a lot of people, let's say in broader secular culture, they have an intuition, a sense that that's wrong, but they don't quite have solid foundational understanding as to why they believe that, we would say we've got the solid foundational understanding because it's rooted in Jesus's thoughts, actions, teachings. And if he believed that, then we've got to believe that too, no matter where our culture lands. Yeah. And it's interesting how Jesus addresses this topic of sexual brokenness, not just as a singular behavior or just a behavioral problem, but really is an issue of the heart. So if you look at the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 28, he says, if a man even looks at a woman with lust, he has committed adultery in his heart. And so what is Jesus getting at here? Well, one thing is that sex involves the whole person. He's talking about the soul and the heart, body, mind, and spirit. And then secondly, you know, no one can live up to this level of holiness and perfection. We've all looked on someone with lust and therefore in our hearts, quote unquote, have committed adultery. So boom, guilty, right? I mean, we all are on the same playing field. And that's how we arrive at this topic of sexual brokenness. And so this is a broad generalization of uh, behaviors, but also postures of the heart that, like you mentioned, Don, that go outside those boundaries that God created for sex to be safe and enjoyed. And so we are talking about things like adultery, sex outside of marriage, pornography. There are many layers and categories to this. Um, But we also want to note and we want to be sensitive to the fact that many people have been wrongly victimized by others in this area, and their hearts, their minds, their bodies were violated and mistreated or degraded and abused. And, And so we want to be very sensitive to you may be somewhere on the map listening to this episode. Your sexual brokenness may look different than anyone else's, but we want to invite you to let go of this false belief that many people cling to that keeps them stuck in their shame. But before we get into this, we want to talk about 
how did God intend things to be? And so we want to look at just the progression of bonding in a relationship. So this is just kind of relationship building 101, but I think it's important to start here. And the first is just, you know, initial attraction. When you meet someone, you know, sometimes we call this the honeymoon phase. I'm, I'm thinking about the hot and sweaties. Like, hot and... Get a little nervous, get a little excited, get the right. butterflies. Yeah, I mean, your brain is telling you there's something about being around this person that makes me feel good. Yeah, and and I, you know, I made a joke, but but really, this isn't just a mental attraction or an emotional attraction. It's also a whole body experience. And John, you're going to tell us a little bit more about this in a second. But there's all sorts of things happening in our bodies uh, to different degrees or another when this initial attraction happens. Yeah, think of you know two people running towards each other each other in a meadow. You know, I mean, they're just like magnets that are being drawn together. You know, you just have this initial attraction. You want to be with someone. And then that moves into what we would call attachment. And here's where you're starting to get more serious about the relationship. You're spending more time together. Maybe you find yourself thinking about them when you're not in each other's presence physically. And that's because they're starting to get wired into your brain, into your nervous system. It's weird, but it's true. But that is how the brain works. And then we move into the intimacy phase. And this is where after a period of time, you begin to experience this closeness and this connection. Maybe your walls are coming down. You're becoming more vulnerable. The other person is seeing the real you. And you're starting to invest a tremendous amount of time, energy, maybe financially into the relationship. And you really start to have an impact on the other person. You begin to actually influence who they are and they're influencing you. And that leads you to that last phase, which is what I hear the young people like to call the DTR phase. Uh, Lynn, I could be bursting your bubble a little bit. I, I think people have might even have moved, moved on it? since then. Is there then. a new phrase that I don't know about? No. See, no. this is why I don't talk much because, <laughs> like, I'm an old dinosaur. The DTR yeah. was let's discuss the relationship. Right. Define the relationship. Oh, like, man. are we in this? Are we not? Are we committed? Is this long term? Someone like, help us know what is the term for the commitment new, yeah. now. Somebody <laughs> needs to get on Instagram and tell us what the new There is no commitment. You just kind of show a picture and, oh, you feel good. Like True, true, right. That's cool. Look at that. Well, traditionally speaking, you eventually get to this place where you decide, is this a person that I'm going to build my life around? Am I going to stay with them for the long term? And so these stages of bonding are normal. This is what everybody goes through. And this is how we're wired. So if you're experiencing this in any of these phases, please know that you are a normal person and God has created you for this type of relationship. Yeah, John, I know you're going to get to more about the attraction phase and what's going on. But, you know, we made a joke about commitment and how, you know, it's seemingly gone by the wayside. I, I know it's a joke, but I think there really is a hint and a kernel of truth for all sorts of reasons. And what I'll just say here is if this idea of even committing to one person seems silly or is very foreign to your experience for all sorts of reasons, that makes total sense. Because broadly, you know, the concept of marriage, the ideal the culture's just kind of gone away from that. You know, maybe a few decades ago, centuries ago, I don't know, it was well-respected, but now for lots of reasons, 
it's just the idea of that just seems silly and naive. So that last point on commitment, we're still going to stick to our guns on that. We're going to hold to it. And yet if you just hear that and you're like, that just seems silly and pointless and you want to make a joke about it, that makes sense. Yeah. You know, the other thing I'll throw in there, we talked about brokenness a few minutes ago. This is a result of brokenness from the fall because so many people have grown up watching mm. marriages that are like really hurtful mm. and they've gone through um, watching their parents divorce, mm. not get along. And so I get it. People without a grounding in something that's really healthy and good, they're going to think, well, why should I do that? Mm-hmm. Yep. So I've mentioned now like four or five times this attraction phase and what happens. John, give, give us a picture of what's actually going on inside of us when these stages of bonding are happening. Yeah, this is some pretty cool stuff when you look at brain chemistry. Uh, in the attraction phase, you basically have three chemical things going on washing over your brain. Uh, one of them is dopamine. It's the reward pathway of the brain. And it gets released when we enjoy something. It could be a cupcake buying a new car, cocaine, sex. Uh, This is huge in research on pornography addiction. Mm -hmm. Same parts of the brain when you take cocaine light up when you look at pornography. Or even on your phone, right? That dopamine reaction when we get a text from someone, that's why we're constantly looking Mm -hmm. at social media. Exactly. That's why social media is addicting. If Mm -hmm. I get a like, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden my brain lights up with a charge of dopamine. And then along with that is norepinephrine, and that's energizing, and uh, it leads to a loss of appetite and sleeplessness. Mm. I remember when I was dating as a teenager, I fell in love with this girl named Pam. Uh, and fell in love, I mean, by I had all these chemicals firing. Your dopamine rushes were pretty I lost intense. 20 pounds. <laughs> I was so happy because I, I, I was kind of a fat kid. I lost weight. It was cool. So that's norepinephrine. Um, and then that's the piece of like, oh my gosh, I can't stop thinking about right. her. I'm not even right. hungry. Yeah. And then serotonin is a chemical that's actually reduced in this process. Interestingly enough, it's also reduced, they've found, in people who have obsessive compulsive disorder. And that explains why there is infatuation and preoccupation. Mm. So you're saying serotonin goes down down it goes during the down. attraction and that leads to infatuation preoccupation and fixation i can't stop thinking about this yeah. person mm-hmm. like gotcha. i'm obsessed mm-hmm. right yeah. you put these chemicals together and you get giddiness excitement a sense of euphoria uh, and it's also why people will like fall in love with something that's kind of unattractive and then later it becomes offensive you know this girl has a little mole on her cheek and i love to kiss it it's so cute and then after your marriage, where I was like, get that thing burned off, man. Like, golly. Is this the time to insert the kissing mole joke or no? Should we wait? There is no later? kissing mole joke. Okay, but, great. But, okay. but we've all experienced this, right? Something that attracts us then becomes offensive. Yeah. And this is also why people will often say, I am so in love. Mm-hmm. And these chemicals fade. And then people mistakenly believe, gee, I'm no longer in love. No, mm-hmm. you just don't have these chemicals right. washing over your brain mm-hmm. anymore. So when the chemicals fade, what people maybe will default to, what does that mean? Well, it means I'm not in love anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. And yep. then a lot of behaviors come out of this. Sure. Like you can jump from partner to partner mm-hmm. because when someone new is introduced, guess what? You get the chemical wash again. Yeah. Or in pornography, like image to image to image. 
or experience to experience. And you people do this to recreate this chemical wash. This mm. is a pathway to sexual addiction. That's the attraction phase. Now, the bonding phase is a little bit different. You have attachment hormones that are released, uh, oxytocin and vasopressin. Oxytocin is released in childbirth when a mother is bonding with a child. I mean, just think of how powerful that is. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, breastfeeding, same thing, and sex. Mm -hmm. uh, vasopressin is released in sex, and that is a bonding hormone. And these activate the brain's reward system and create a very strong felt bond. So think of these chemicals and how your brain in your neuron level, yeah. neuronal level, neurological level, whatever the word is, uh, it literally attaches to a person. Mm. And we have our brains wire around being with this person and having sex with this person. And then if those wires are torn, mm -hmm. if a couple splits up, it feels like your soul is being torn. I think that speaks to the biblical phrase of, you know, the two shall become one flesh. Yes. Right? Like there's that bonding that's happening. And of course, we, you know, they didn't have the brain research back then, but it really is a metaphor for how our brains wire with our partners. Yeah. And we have to live in the bodies mm -hmm. that God created. So even people who believe in free sex eventually become enraged if they're betrayed mm -hmm. or they get gripped by fear of losing mm -hmm. their favorite partner. Mm -hmm. And this creates a lot of like personal and psychological damage because you kind of split yourself into pieces. Mm -hmm. It hurts your soul. Um, C.S. Lewis says it's more like having both of your legs cut off mm -hmm. than it is dissolving a business partnership. Wow. For the believer, I'm going to throw this in there. I think there is another level of wounding that occurs. In 1 Corinthians 6, I think we're pointed in that direction because Paul says we are joined with the Lord. So if you join your body with somebody else, and then it's outside of the bond of marriage, or it's, um, you know, infidelity, uh, there is a tearing that occurs spiritually for the believer, because they're indwelt by the Spirit. And I think there is a guilt that comes from that, because it's sort of like we've cheated on Jesus mm -hmm. when we act out. Just like a betrayer experiences guilt in an earthly partnership, I think we believe that or feel that at some level between ourselves and Jesus. Yeah, and I think you're speaking a little bit to, like there's a holy bond that we have with God. You know, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is a deep bond that we are creating that intimacy with the Lord. And so then when we have these earthly bonds that may not be healthy, they may not be holy bonds, then that creates a lot of turmoil in our souls. Now, the pattern that we've just described of bonding, I mean, this has been repeated a billion times over, right, since the beginning of time. It's the basis of our social connections and stability. It's how couples are formed and eventually proceed to marriage. Uh, this is a reality that we can't ignore. It's not going to go away. And relationships are that meaningful basis of our lives. We can't live without them. It's normal to desire them, to need them, to seek out bonding and attachment. All of this just makes you a human being. But we're just starting here because we have to navigate the stages of these relationships to one degree or another. And this is part of the normal human universal experience. But along the way, it's very common that we form some of these unhealthy bonds. It's common 
that we may bond with someone in a way that goes outside of God's design for how relationships are meant to flourish. And Lynn, you you mentioned we might do future episodes on this. As you say that, there are so many reasons why Mm -hmm. we do this. And so if you're wondering if that's you, if you sense I've got this unhealthy bond and you're wondering why, that's the great question. We promise we'll get to another episode and maybe we'll include some resources. But that is a loaded question. But Lynn, I'm so glad you said it's just really common to form unhealthy bonds. Yeah, it's just part of the developmental phase. We're going to be attracted to different people, and we we want to have those healthy boundaries in place, but it's easy for them to be um, broken and contribute to that sexual brokenness that we're talking about. And when that happens, we may have emotional, physical um, scars that are left along the way. Maybe the relationship starts out wholesome, healthy, seems natural or fun, but as the progression of bonding occurs, maybe lines are crossed, boundaries are violated, and what started off as innocent or well-meaning can take us to that place that we never intended to go. Again, I want to speak to this. We, we are sensitive to the fact that many people have been wrongly, wrongly, unjustly victimized by someone else in this area. And maybe if that's you, your heart, your mind, your body has been violated or mistreated, and you're experiencing the consequences of someone else's sin towards you. And so we want to just acknowledge that there's damage that occurs that, you know, people never asked for, signed up for, wanted, and yet it is part of their story. Um, We know that this damage um, is very real, and that's things that we work with on clients. Um, There are painful consequences when sexual boundaries are broken. And so wherever you're listening on that spectrum, we hope that you can have a takeaway today that brings hope, that normalizes you. This is not a message of judgment or condemnation. In fact, what we're trying to do is dismantle this belief around this topic that somehow my sexual brokenness, no matter what it is, no matter how I got there, no matter where it came from, we tend to believe that it disqualifies us from God's love. Yeah, it goes deeper than any other sin. You know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, all other sins are outside the body. Uh, Sexual immorality, sexual sin is against your own body. In part, I think that means the bonding stuff that we talked about Mm -hmm. gets ripped to pieces, Mm -hmm. and it really has a, a damaging effect on our soul. And the other thing I would say is because the way God designed relationships as the deepest possible experience of intimacy on this earth holds the deepest possible hurt that we can experience. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's very different in that way from other sins. I can gossip about somebody. I could leave here and say, man, Austin, can you believe like Lynn did whatever? And I am not going to feel incredible shame from that. I'm going to feel pretty okay with like criticizing somebody. But sexual sin can't be shaken off that easily. Mm -hmm. And we all know that. Mm -hmm. And it's because of how deep this goes. Mm -hmm. It's very physically significant, biologically that we just pointed to. And it just goes so deep into our psyche. And the church, I think, supports this. It supports us staying stuck here. Um, C.S. Lewis said the center of Christian morality is not sexuality. He said all the worst pleasures are spiritual sins like 
putting others in the wrong, bossing, patronizing, backbiting, power, hatred. So as we move through this, if we want to get you guys free from the trap of shame that comes from sexual sin, uh, we want you to know that it's very forgivable. It's not the cardinal sin. It's not the unforgivable sin. That would be contrary to the gospel. God's grace and love toward us restores us to hope. And holiness and the idea of being pure is a gift from God. It is not something we earn or get rid of through our behavior. God sees us as saints. We are pure in his sight. And when he calls us saints, and he does, he's saying we're no longer defined by our failures. We're defined by his love for us as his sons and his daughters. Yeah, John, I love, I mean, it's like we should close here. But what I want to do, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and we're going to take, you know, some of these processes of bonding and put them into the context of sexuality just a little bit more. So stay with us, more to come. We'll be right back in a jiffy. But we want to take a quick pause to say thank you. Thank you so much for listening in. If you like what you're hearing, think about texting this episode to a friend. And find us on Instagram at With You in the Weeds. Okay, so um, we've been talking about bonding in general, and let's apply this a little more to sexuality. We've been saying all along we have to start at the beginning of the story, Genesis 1 and 2, the ideal. And this bonding we've been talking about was meant to be indulged and expressed in the context of a marriage between one man and one woman. Genesis 2 says that uh, a man is to be united to his wife. The two shall become one flesh, naked and unashamed all of that, Jesus confirms this in Matthew 19. So this is the ideal. This is the place and the space where all of these processes are supposed to happen. But we don't live in an ideal world. We all know that. And so things get kind of wacky and messed up. Yeah. And that's where I want to look at three principles of sexual bonding that we can point to and how they may contribute to sexual brokenness in our lives. The first one would just be the power of the first bond. The, your very first sexual experience is going to awaken a part of your soul that is God-given, mm. yeah. and it should be expressed, as you said, in that safe relationship. But this is why, for instance, this is why, for instance, childhood sexual abuse is so insidious. It's so damaging. I could even say it's demonic, if you will, Yes. because it awakens this God-given, normal, good, beautiful, healthy part of us in a context that involves an abuse of power, that's confusing, and that damages a person's soul. And it's something that they you know, carry with them. And because of, John, you explaining the brain and the neurological things that are happening, like this gets wired into a person's story in a very deeply felt way. But what it also does is that it opens the door to future bonds. And so that's the second point that I want to make about sexual bonding. So once your soul, your body, your mind has been opened to that bond with another person, now we can more easily bond with other people, right? We've had those euphoric feelings. We've had the dopamine rush. And so now our bodies are kind of cued and wired and looking for that experience again. And so we may have future bonds 
to try and recreate that initial feeling. But then the last principle of bonding I want to mention is just the idea of an elusive bond. And that's where, you know, let's say we've had several sexual experiences and now there's this feeling of like a craving or a longing, like that it can never fully be satisfied. So it's never enough. Like I I so want to be delighted in and loved and seen and noticed and experienced these intense feelings. And so we're looking to have those God-given, beautiful, wonderful needs met, but we're susceptible to doing that in ways that are just not good for us. There may be outside of that, you know, boundary of commitment. Um, you know, John, you mentioned how that happens when people, um, you know, don't have that trust in that relationship. And so this can become that trap for maybe sexual addiction or just jumping from one relationship to the next. Yeah. And, you know, that third part, you know, this elusive bond, uh, that's such a great category. And I would say every person, no matter you're married or not, we experience this in some form. And I just want to be clear, if you are married and enjoying sex in a way God has designed it, there's still an element of this elusiveness that's present. That's another more could be said about that, but just want to name that. And yet, especially like you've been saying, when we practice this for understandable reasons inside and outside of marriage, that just becomes even experienced to greater degrees. So those three principles, the power of the first bond, opening the door to future bonds and elusive bonds, those are so helpful and they bring such clarity. Yeah, I work with uh, sexual addicts Mm -hmm. some. And one of the things that we have found and that we say over and over again is sex is not about sex. Mm. Say more. Yeah, I will. (laughs) It It is not between the legs. It is between the ears and it's about the heart. Mm -hmm. And that really speaks to this elusive bond because what we're looking for in a sexual interaction is something much deeper in our souls. Like, I want someone to delight in me. Mm -hmm. I want to see or be seen as powerful and significant. I want someone to care for me. I want to be wanted. I want to be wanted. And it's like a pointer. And Mm -hmm. those seeds of that are good and right. And we're so thankful they're there. And yet they can... Get out of control. Bruce Springsteen has a song called The Queen of the Supermarket. And it's a fascinating song where he, in the lyrics, and y'all can look it up. I think I've got the title right. But he goes into the supermarket at the end of a day. And he's talking about desiring to see the queen of the supermarket. Describes her beauty, her dress, etc. Eventually he gets to the checkout lane. And that's where she is. And the whole point of the song is her eyes met mine Mm. Mm. yeah it doesn't go where you think it's going to go yeah it's the i Mm. i want to be known Mm. i want to be seen so this is really powerful to think about because if we just look at okay sex Mm -hmm. having sex where should i have it we're not even getting to the core issue right it's not just behaviors exactly (laughs) it's emotions it's our psyche it's our longings our desires our needs all things that we have touched on in previous episodes so go back Mm -hmm. and listen these are normal healthy god-given longings desires and needs that we had have it's just when we seek to fulfill those are we doing that within the context of safety or are we doing that in a context where we're going to end up hurting ourselves? Yeah, and, and Lynn, I know you're going to get to some personal stories. We're all going to get there. John, you mentioned addiction, and maybe I just want to make this clear. There is a time and a place to name 
and say someone is an addict. You know, some of the highlights of addiction are you continue a behavior in the face of really bad consequences happening and you can't stop. And again, this isn't the point of the episode. So on the one hand, we're all addict or not. We're experiencing the same things. But again, the level of impact it can be different. So if that's you, if you've ever been a part of that group, just know we're not trying to diminish your experience, but just want to clarify that. Yeah, Austin, I'm glad you're saying that because a lot of people are uncomfortable with the concept of addiction or being called an addict. And I think what we can say, and I've done this with a lot of clients and it's been very helpful, is that we can say in light of all that we've said is we're looking at an unhealthy attachment Mm -hmm. and bond Mm -hmm. to something that we really think is going to bring us life. Mm -hmm. And we end up getting hurt. So I will say to people, look, if you don't like thinking of yourself as addicted to something, uh, just call it Ralph. I've got a relationship with Ralph. What's that relationship like? And we all have Ralphs somewhere. We're all hijacking something Mm. to get those deeper soul needs met, which is the real issue. This one today, this episode, we're just focusing on how we use sexuality to hijack a deeper, something to bring a deeper fulfillment. Yeah, I think that's a good clarifier. And I just want to go back to, you know, why is this false belief so prevalent? How does it get so ingrained in us that sexual brokenness disqualifies me from God's love? And I think we've talked a little bit about how because it is such a deep part of our souls that gets bonded, that gets connected with another person, that when there's a crossing of boundaries, when God's design is violated, it feels as though we are dirty, we are um, maybe disgusting, maybe we're disgusted with ourselves. We feel as though God is mad at us, that he can't accept us in that state. And so we walk around feeling like, man, I'm really like, I don't know if God could love me because of that deep sense of shame that comes along with that. And I can just speak to that from my own personal life. Um, When I was in college, I was dealing with sexual sin. I felt ashamed. Um, I didn't want to talk to anyone about it. I felt stuck. But when I finally did reach out for help um, to someone that I will just loosely say was, you know, in a church setting, and, and I told this person what was going on, this person's response was, well, Lynn, you know, I think you've been disqualified from the love of a godly man mm. because of this sexual sin. And I, this was very painful, but it reinforced this belief that I was dirty, I was damaged, I was unlovable, and I wouldn't be able to find a healthy godly man like, you know, that, that would love me. And that, you know, God, does God love me? And so because of this experience, when I am dealing with clients specifically who are coming in with sexual brokenness and they're in this position where they're, they've bought into this false belief that God doesn't love me or I've been disqualified from that love, I tell them, you are not, you are not disqualified from God's love. And I just want to say that to anyone listening, no matter what your history is, no matter what you've been through, no matter what your sexual brokenness looks like, whether anyone knows about it or not, you are not disqualified from God's love. Okay. I want to highlight something that happens all the time. What the enemy did in that instance was sealed your shame with bad 
teaching. Mm, mm-hmm. And teaching that was coming from someone who represented God as an authority. Right. And that happens all the time in the church. Yeah. And the enemy loves to do that because his main goal is to get you separated from the Father and from the love of God. And that's what happened to you. And I am so sorry. And I'm so glad that you're now free of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the only thing I can think about that you mentioned parts, this is how and where different parts can be created in ourselves. We get a part of us, maybe intellectually, that knows the right things and knows what to say. But there's another part of us that feels something very different. And Lynn, thank you for being so brave to share your story. That's where and how that can happen. Um, Man, we've been going for a while. I would love to just, I don't know, guys, maybe land the plane, give some people some takeaways. What do we do now? What would you say? Your sexual brokenness, no matter what it is, does not supersede his forgiveness, his holiness, his power, his cleansing. He invites you into his presence as you are. And so your bad, quote unquote, whatever that may be, doesn't swallow up the good that Jesus offers you through a relationship with him. And so we're going to end it there, but we really want you to stay with us. Listen in to next week's episode where we are going to say that nothing, and that means nothing, can disqualify you from God's love. So tune in next week. Yeah, and we'll talk a little bit about healing from sexual brokenness. Absolutely. Guys, it's been great to be here with you, and thank you all for listening. Can't wait to be with you next week. Thanks for letting us be with you in the weeds of life. We want this resource to bring you hope and to help bridge the gap between where you are and where you want to be. Follow us on Instagram at With You in the Weeds. If you like what you're hearing, text the episode to a friend, like us, and leave a review. Until next time, remember, God is with you in the weeds.